Uh, last week we were in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, looking at uh, the office of elder, pastor, overseer, those three words being used synonymously to speak of what we commonly call pastors today, and today we'll be shifting our focus a bit to look at another group of uh, leaders within the church. There was a pastor who from his pulpit one Sunday said, if I had all the beer in all the world, I'd take it and I'd dump it all in the river. And the congregation said, Amen. And the pastor said, if I had all the wine in all the world, I'd take and dump it in the river. And the congregation said, Amen. And the pastor said, if I had all the whiskey and all the rum in all the world, I'd take and I'd dump it all into the river. And the congregation said, Amen. After sitting down, a deacon rose to the platform and said, let us now all take our hymn books and sing together hymn number 126, We Shall Drink From That River. And the congregation said, Hallelujah. I'm really relieved you laughed at that joke. That joke has nothing to do with anything that we're going to talk about this morning, except that it references deacons, which is our topic from God's Word today. Deacons in the church. We'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, as Paul describes for Timothy, that ministry delegate, that ministry leader in the city of Ephesus, what deacons, what these servants in the, in, in the church, formal servants in the church, should look like and be like and what they should do. We'll find there our our main idea for this morning, that deacons, as servants of the church, care for those physical needs that may otherwise go overlooked, or those needs, if left unmet, would cause division in the body of Jesus Christ. This morning, I hope that we'll come to understand with some clarity what Scripture says deacons are and what deacons do in serving the church. And I would hope that even as we see what deacons are and what they do, that all of us as Christians would seek to serve one another as Christ has served us. So let's turn our attention to God's Word, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Will you stand with me if you're comfortably able as we read God and and honor His Word by so doing? The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues his instruction to Timothy here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. He says, Deacons, likewise... Uh, in, a, in a manner comparing to that of elder or overseer, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Deacons, as servants of the church, care for those physical needs that might otherwise go overlooked or, if left unmet, would potentially cause division in the body of Christ. Last week, when we were looking at elder, pastor, overseer, about which uh, in the course of Christian history there has been some confusion, we asked the question, what's in a name? Why does it matter what we call that person? Why, why do we use the term that we do? And so we asked the same question about deacons. What's in a name? Well, that word deacon comes from the Greek word. It's a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which most literally means table waiter or servant. You, you think of your server at a restaurant. They are, the, in the most literal sense, a deacon, a table waiter. And that word deacon is used lots of, uh, a few different ways. I shouldn't say lots of different ways, but a few different ways throughout the course of the New Testament. Sometimes it's used to refer to servants very in a very general sense, like the servants at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, where Jesus turned the water into wine. 
sometimes it's used generically about servants of good or evil masters in the course of parables that are told. Paul himself refers to him, himself as a servant of Christ, a servant of God, a, a servant of the gospel, uh, using that word diakonos in each place. But today we're interested in that word diakonos in its reference to the office, to the more official use of deacon in the church. Now, interestingly, last week we looked at four critical or key passages when it comes to elders, pastors, and overseers in the New Testament. And in fact, elders in the life of the church are referenced in the New Testament some 20 times or more. Deacons, only about three times, three or four times. Uh, One time uh, mentioned here in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, The other definitive use is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul, in referring to the or addressing the church at Philippi, addresses all the saints who are there, along with the overseers and the deacons, uh, pointing out these two other groups of, of leaders, of servants among the church as a whole. So this morning we're looking at the more formal use of the word deacon and what it means for the church. So first of all, let's ask, who are the deacons? And what should a church look for in them? The answers to both of these questions come to us from 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, our our primary text this morning. Deacons are, first of all, people of impeccable character. We see that in the way that Paul describes what deacons must be in these verses. They're to be respectable, not double-tongued, which means not talking out of both sides of their mouth, not hypocritical in their speech or in what they do. They're not to be drunkards, not to be given over to intoxicating substances. They're not to be greedy for dishonest gain. They shouldn't be willing to take advantage of other people for their own advancement. The men among the deacons who are married must be faithful to their wives. As Paul says in verse 12, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, faithful to their spouses and good leaders in their homes also. Now, verse 11 creates a little bit of a challenge for us. Uh, In the translation that we normally read and, and preach from and study on Sunday mornings, the English Standard Version, verse 11 begins, their wives likewise must be dignified. Now look in your copy of God's Word in verse 11. After likewise, or maybe after wives, you may have a little footnote, a little number there drawing your attention to the bottom of the page. Anybody have one of those footnotes? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Most of you, hopefully, if you don't have your Bibles open, get them open. It's, uh, let's, let's get there, okay? Good. If you have a footnote, follow it to the bottom of the page. In my Bible, uh, that footnote, it's the number four, says, or wives likewise, or women likewise. Chapter 3, verse 11 of 1 Timothy is a little bit tricky to, uh, to translate. If you're reading out of the New American Standard Bible this morning, yours probably says women likewise. That is because there is one word in Greek that can be translated either wives or women. It's the Greek word gune. And in this context, in the, in, in the original Greek writing of 1 Timothy 3, Paul did not use the personal possessive pronoun there. It, just, it doesn't say their wives or their women likewise. It just says women likewise or gune, gunaikos is the plural form of it, likewise. Now, this understanding that the, the difficulty of translating this text has opened the door to uh, many believing that there is a possibility for women serving as deacons in the church, deaconesses or female deacons. Others believe that this opens a possibility or, or that Paul is speaking to female assistants of the deacons in the church. And still others, as we have reflected in many of our English translations, believe that Paul is speaking to the wives of the deacons. The difficulty with translating it this way, or, or the, the challenge that is presented to us, is, is one of, uh, that leads us to ask the question, what do we do about female deacons? Some of us may, have, may know of churches that employ deaconesses, and not employ in the sense of uh, paying them, but employ in the sense of recognizing and using them. 
at the end of the day, even though uh, Scripture may allow for that option, uh, I would be hesitant to make a definitive uh, statement about what any particular local church should do. Scripture seems to allow it. There's a case of Phoebe in Romans 16, verse 1, who is called a deacon of the church at Sincre, um, uh, who was who very likely the, the one who delivered Paul's letter to the church at Rome. All of that to say, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what we should do with this, and I think most churches should discuss it together and with their elders as to how, how, best, to, um, how, how best to deal with this in the, life, in the life of the church. But whether these are female assistants to the deacons, whether these are deaconesses, or whether these are wives to the deacons, they too have qualifications also that match those of the deacons. They're to have impeccable character. And very likely... And you'll look at the the qualifications for these women that are mentioned. Dignified, not slanderous, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. Their qualifications seem to parallel exactly those that are mentioned of deacons in verses 8 through 10. Deacons are to be people of impeccable character because their ministry in the church is very likely going to take place in other members' homes. They're going to be privy to very private and personal matters of the members of the church. They're going to be ministering to widows and single mothers and orphans and those in need. And so because of that, those who are involved in this deacon ministry must be of trustworthy character and sound in faith as well. Which leads us to the second characteristic. Deacons are persons of impeccable character, but they're also people of sound and informed faith. Verse 9 says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 11, Faithful in all things. The idea here of, being, of holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience is to say that deacons must, uh, uh, must have a, a sound and a, and a firm grasp on the truth of the gospel, on who Jesus is, on why faith in Christ for salvation is necessary. Now, you'll notice different from uh, overseers in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, el, uh, deacons are not called or, or required to be able to teach. Their function in the church is different from that of pastors, that of elders, uh, or overseers. They don't have to be able to teach God's word, but they do need to be sound in their doctrine, sound in their understanding of who Jesus is. They do need to be doctrinally informed, sound in their faith, certain of the gospel of Christ, and able to communicate that hope. When they're ministering to those who are in need or who are struggling, uh, deacons need to be able to point to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the gospel and the hope of every believer. So deacons are persons of impeccable character. They're people of sound and informed faith. And they are, as verse 10 shows us, to be tested servants. Let them be also tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That phrase, let them be tested, implies giving them a a sort of a trial run, if you will, or or testing them by actual use. It it conjures up in my mind an image of of a samurai warrior who goes to a swordsmith to pick up a, a new sword. And as he goes into that workshop, he holds that sword in his hand. He, he, he feels the balance of the blade and, and the handle. He perhaps swings it through the air and, and slashes it uh, in, in a shadow sort of manner. He maybe takes some test cuts on some rolled up mats or a combat dummy that's there in the swordsmith's workshop. And after testing that sword and seeing that it passes muster, that it holds up, he takes it home to make it an indispensable instrument of his profession. In the same way, so those who serve as deacons are to be tested before they serve, put to use in some way to see, do they, do, are, are they these kind of people with this kind of character? Do they serve with, with a blameless sort of attitude? Again, blameless doesn't mean sinless. It just means uh, unable to be, uh, uh, unable to be uh, credibly accused of unrepentant sinfulness. 
Do their lives look like this? Is their character shaped this way? If so, and and do they serve with the love of Christ? Then put them to use. Now, in this regard, we should not understand the the title of the office, the position of deacon in a church as an honorific title that's given to people of longstanding membership in a church. Like, oh, John Q., he's been a member here at this church for 25 years. He's not a deacon yet? Well, by golly, we ought to make him one. It's past time, isn't it? Uh, Deacon is not an honorific title. It's not a dignitary title. In the same way that overseers are, are called to a noble task, it is a work to lead and shepherd and pray for and teach the body of Christ. So also, deacons work. Deacons are to be active in serving the church. It's not a dignitary or a special status within the church. It's a position of service to Christian servants. Deacons are persons of impeccable character, who are of sound and informed faith, who are tested servants. Now, knowing what deacons are, what they look like, as they, as they are here sort of uh, lifted as an example of faithfulness and service to Christ, know this this morning, friends, it's always a good idea to seek to grow into the character of a deacon. It's always good for anyone in the church to want to grow in this kind of character. What is bad about being dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain? What is wrong with holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience? What is special about being dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things? What is, what is particularly special about being faithful to your spouse and managing your home well? I would say for the Christian, nothing. This is for all of us to grow into in maturity. It's always good to seek to grow into the character of a deacon. And there's no passage of Scripture that would stop anyone from so doing. So Christian brothers and sisters, knowing that this is, this is here in deacons, a good model of Christian maturity, all of us should then pursue holiness. All of us should grow in the soundness of our faith. All of us should seek to be faithful in all things. All of us should seek to serve when no one else is looking. What are, who are the deacons? What should we look for in them? Well, they're people of impeccable character, sound of, in, in sound and Uh, informed faith who are tested servants. But what do deacons do? Now, last week we had several passages that referred to elders, pastors, overseers, who they were and what they did. Unfortunately, there's not as much uh, discussion about what deacons do in the course of the New Testament. One thing we do know for sure, deacons serve the servants. Deacons serve the servants. The job description of deacons is admittedly vague in Scripture. You'll have a hard time finding a a clear description of what they do. It's not nearly as clear as that of pastors, of elders. Much of their job description, I think, is found in their title, servant, table waiter, deacon. And we could look to Acts chapter 6 for some clues to what they would do. And I I invite you to read along with me uh, in Acts chapter 6. You'll see it on the screen behind me, verses 1 through 7. In the early days of the church in Jerusalem, uh, as the gospel is going out uh, shortly after Pentecost and and many by the thousands are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the church finds itself at a crossroads. We read in Acts chapter 6, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, these are uh, Greek-speaking Jewish believers in Jesus, arose against the Hebrews who are uh, Hebrew-speaking Jewish believers in Jesus because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, speaking of the twelve apostles who were then leading the church at that time, summoned the full number of the disciples. They had a members meeting of the whole church, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the word deacon is not used here, but the verb form of that word is to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, 
Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and holy wisdom, uh, excuse, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. What do deacons do? Well, they serve the servants. And if we look at Acts chapter 6, even though these seven aren't called deacons, we could look at them as sort of like prototypes for deacons, proto-deacons. We see that what they do is that they serve the vulnerable in the church, these widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of bread. And they meet the needs of these widows, which otherwise, if it had been left unmet, would have caused division in the church. The church is about to split along language-speaking lines. And yet these proto-deacons, these seven servants who are chosen by the church to serve, are able to meet that need, mend the church, and the gospel explodes because of it. Now, some churches have taken very generalized, uh, taken a very generalized approach to deacon ministries. If there's any need in the church, it goes to the deacons and they take care of it. Other churches that I know of have task-specific deacons. And so they have deacons who are able to serve in very specific ways in the church. Deacons of hospitality who, who mobilize and gather volunteers and train them to help guests that are coming to the church on a Sunday morning. You have deacons of maybe the ordinances who make sure that when the Lord's Supper is taken or baptisms are taking place, that everything is, is in order there. Uh, deacons of outreach, deacons for widow ministry, so on and so forth. Some churches take a very general approach. Other churches take a very specific, task-specific uh, approach to what their deacons do. At the end of the day, because the Bible isn't specific about what deacons do in any particular church, this is a matter that should be decided by churches along with their elders in discussion together about what needs are pressing, what needs need to be met, and how we can assign our deacons to so meet those. Deacons serve the servants. Their job description is as general and specific as that. Now, there's one thing that deacons are not called to do in Scripture. Deacons do not give spiritual oversight or leadership to the church. Overseers, pastors, elders are those that are given oversight, spiritual oversight for the church. Deacons are not called to do that anywhere in Scripture. Now, some churches have misunderstood and misapplied the, the title deacon to, to, to men who serve like elders, who serve like pastors. Now, likely, many of us may have uh, know of or, or grew up in churches where the deacons were seen as, a, as sort of spiritual leaders uh, and maybe even as the board of, of deacons who, who held authority in a church, who gave oversight to pastors, who delegated authority to pastors or took authority away from pastors. Many of us know of churches that have deacons that do a lot of what elders are called to do in Scripture. Now, doing so may not necessarily be wrong or sinful. I wouldn't condemn a church that has a, a governing structure that way. But I do believe it does kind of muddy the waters when we look at Scripture and what elders, pastors, overseers are very clearly called to do and what deacons are, well, relatively vaguely called to do. Scripture is clear about elders, pastors, overseers. They are to lead, to shepherd, to pray, and to teach the congregation. But Scripture is clearly vague about deacons. They serve. But in no place do we see in Scripture where deacons or deaconesses, if that be the case, as those who give spiritual care, those who give oversight to the souls of members. Deacons aren't the ones that stand before God to, to give an account for how they shepherded the souls of the churches that called them. 
Now, knowing that deacons serve the servants, their job description is that general, that might be very freeing, very liberating to deacons who don't want to to have the weight of spiritual authority over a church. They just know God has not called them to that. To know that they're just called to serve can be liberating. Or it can be very frustrating to know that deacons are, are not to have this kind of pastoral authority over the church. It can be frustrating to those who want to be called a deacon because of the status or the influence or the authority that they can get for themselves that way. But if that is any, any potential deacon's heart's desire, if that's any elder, overseer, if that's any pastor's desire to, I want to be a pastor or I want to be a deacon so I can tell the church what to do. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a deacon so that people will respect me. I want to have this title so that I can, I can have influence over other people's lives and authority over them. Well, if that's anyone's heart's desire for status, for authority, for respect, then those persons have already disqualified themselves from serving in those positions. Because they've demonstrated a heart that's greedy for dishonest gain. I want something for what I can get out of it. Not, I desire to serve, I desire to lead, because this is what God has called me to do, and I so love Christ and His church that I can't imagine doing anything else. Deacons do serve. And they're not called to give, required to give spiritual oversight or spiritual leadership in a pastoral sense to the church. Now, knowing this, that God calls both elders and deacons to to meet different needs in the church, elders, pastors, overseers, to lead theologically and spiritually, to give oversight to the body, and deacons to meet those physical needs in the church, we should not see these two groups as opposed to one another. Rather, elders and deacons must work together for the sake of the gospel. God has made us to be not bodies, not, not, not spiritual beings with bodies attached, but psychosomatic entities. We are, we are embodied souls as human beings, which means we have both spiritual and physical needs as human beings. And it is in God's wisdom that he has called people to meet both of those kinds of needs in the church, spiritual needs by the elders, pastors, overseers, physical needs by those deacons in the church that meet the needs of, uh, uh, physical needs of the people. Because elders and deacons work together for the sake of the gospel. And even as we see sort of the prototypical instance in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles are preaching the word and the seven that are chosen are meeting the needs, what happens as a result when these two are working together? The gospel explodes in Jerusalem. So much so that even many of the Jewish priests came to faith. So when elders and deacons are working together in gospel harmony, great things happen. Elders and deacons must work together for the sake of the gospel. So, in light of this, each, whether you're a pastor, elder, overseer, or you're a deacon, each needs to focus on the responsibilities given them by God and His Word and on the people that they minister among. It's not about status. It's not about influence. It's not about authority. It's about living, serving, and exercising the gifts that God has given us among the people that He's called us to serve. Now, you may have several objections, several questions related to what deacons are and what they do. One question, which we've already addressed briefly, but I will in a little bit more detail, is this. Aren't deacons supposed to be the approval or the accountability board for the pastor? Aren't they the ones that keep the pastor in check? Well, this sort of conclusion about what deacons do demonstrates, I think, to me, a confusion of the responsibilities of elders and deacons. Who does what and who's called to do what? In a church with a plurality of elders that are affirmed by the congregation, the the elders hold the position of organizational and spiritual oversight. We looked at this last week in several passages of Scripture. If you want a refresher, you can go and listen to last week's sermon again online. The deacons may, as, as members of the congregation, the same as any other member of the congregation, bring issues, bring needs, bring concerns to the pastors to be addressed. 
But the deacons are not to be a board of directors who tell the pastors how to shepherd or who delegate authority to the pastors. To do so would further misunderstand who delegates authority to whom. In elder-led congregationalism, this system of, of church governance that really our church already practices, authority to lead and to shepherd is given by God to the pastors, but through the affirmation and recognition of the whole church, not just by the deacons. There are far few, fewer references to who deacons are and what they do in Scripture than there are to elders. And so I believe that we're better off taking the relative silence on how deacons are to serve as a way of opening many doors to many kinds of service in the church, but not opening the door to elder-like leadership. That's just simply not what deacons are called to do. In the same way, we shouldn't understand deacon as a stepping stone to elder. God does not work that way in Scripture. And in the same way, deacons should not see themselves and pastors should not see deacons as their, as their personal pastoral assistants, but rather as co-laborers in serving the congregation. Elders serving by leading, teaching, shepherding. Deacons serving by meeting physical needs of the body and the needs of the church. Aren't deacons the approval accountability board for the pastor? No, not in the Bible anyway. Second, what about female deacons? We addressed this briefly and I'll, I'll just say tonight at five o'clock, we can... We can have some opportunity to flesh this out a little bit more, talk about this a little bit more moving forward. But as we said, taken literally, 1 Timothy 3 could be translated women likewise instead of their wives likewise, because there's this one word, gune, for woman or wife, and that possessive pronoun, their, their women, their wives, is not used in that verse. Um, because of this, many scholars have understood that, that uh, women can serve as deacons in the church or deaconesses in the church. And in fact, over the last 2,000 years of church history, many churches have had female deacons in their church. And there are some cases in which we could see where a female deacon could be very helpful, particular ministries uh, that, that women deacons would be good at. Ministering to single mothers, to widows, to orphans, Women's prisons, abused women, women with unplanned pregnancies, ministries to women in recovery homes, recovery programs, would be potentially very inappropriate ministries for men to be involved in. Now, there may be, in particular instances and contexts, good reasons not to have women deacons. For instance, a church where deacons function like elders, because Scripture says, uh, demonstrates to us that, that that office of elder, pastor, overseer is clearly for reserved for men, uh, we should not call women to be deacons if the deacons are going to function like pastors. At the end of the day, churches need to be very clear about who elders are, what they do, who deacons are, and what they do, and then press forward in prayer, in gracious conversation, with our Bibles open, seeking God's guidance, seeking God's wisdom about how to practice this in our church, and what is the most wise direction forward. Now, in all of this, who deacons are and what they do, people of impeccable character who are of sound and informed faith, who serve the servants, who are tested in so serving, let us not lose sight, even as we talk about deacons, of the fact that as followers of Christ, we're all to be servants, we're all to be deacons to one another. That word diakonos is used to refer to how deacons relate to one another within the body of Christ. Hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Speaking to his disciples, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, diakonos, your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, came not to be diakonosed, that's the wrong way to say that, but came not to be deaconed to, but to serve, to be as a deacon, and to serve by giving his life as a ransom 
for many. In this way, all followers of Christ are to be as deacons, are to be as servants to one another. We shouldn't be waiting for a title to be applied to us, to give our lives in service to one another. And all this, not because we're special, but because the one that we follow, Jesus Christ, came not as a master, but as a servant. He came to serve. The truth of the gospel is this, that the eternal God of the universe stepped into humanity, not to be waited on hand and foot, but to serve and to wash the feet of others. Christ's ultimate act of service, his ultimate work as a deacon of the world, if we could put it that way, his ultimate act of service for you, dear friend, is in his death as your substitute for sins and in his resurrection from the grave. The question for you is, have you allowed yourself to receive Christ's service to you? Have you allowed Jesus to serve you? Not because you're so worthy of being served, a simple survey of our conscience will tell us that we are not. But have you allowed Christ to serve you because you see how unworthy of his service you are and how overcome by his love and his care and his sacrifice to you that you are? There is one who has served you in ways that no human being can. There is one who has served you in such a way to bring you to a God like you could never do for yourself. The question this morning, friend, is have you set aside your pride? Have you set aside your fear? Have you set aside your disbelief to be served salvation and life by Jesus? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to rescue you from sin and death. That is his ultimate act of service to you. If you've not received it yet this morning, friend, you can do so simply in the quiet of your heart, in your own words, in your own way, before God, recognizing the sorrow or, or recognizing with sorrow the sin that you have committed against him. And turning to Jesus the eternal Son of God who took on flesh to live a life without sin that you could never live, to die a death on the cross that all of us deserve and to be raised by His own power again on the third day. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that He is King, that He is boss of my life, that He rules everything, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is how we are served by Jesus by entrusting our lives to him as Lord and Savior. Friend, if you've made this decision to follow Jesus for the first time today in this way, as we dismiss in a few moments, I hope that you'll come and find me after worship today to tell me that you've come to trust Jesus this way, that you want to let others know this, that you want to go public with your faith in Christ. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus. Come let me know today. Don't, don't delay in so doing. But Christian, you who have been served by Christ, know this that Christ has served as your Savior, not so that you could be a king in your own right, but Christ has served you as your Savior so that you can serve others. Whether you're an elder pastor or an overseer, whether you're a deacon, or whether you're a church member that just participates and serves in the life of the church of which you're a member, Christ has served you as Savior so that you can serve too, so that you can serve other people with the good news that Jesus died for sinners and rose again. So you can meet the physical needs of people that live next to you and that work in a cubicle across from you. So you can serve others by sacrificing your preferences and your priorities for the good of those who are around you. So you can serve others with all that God has blessed you with financially, time-wise, gifts, talents, abilities, giving all of it for the good, the advancement, the spiritual growth and salvation of others. God uh, Christ has served you as your Savior so that you can serve others in the church, 
so you can serve your brothers and sisters. Do a survey sometime this week of the New Testament of that phrase, one another, and how often it is used in the context of the local church and how often those, those references speak to service to each other, encouragement, edification of the body of faith that God has saved us in Christ to be a part of. Christ serves as our Savior so that we can serve others, not just in our neighborhoods, not just in our homes, not just in our workplaces or in the church, but also around the world. Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. Some of us are called to serve others with the gospel in other parts of the world. And if God is calling you that way, you need to answer him with a definitive yes. Christ serves as your savior so that you can serve others. And if everyone in the church is serving this way, we we could almost hardly even see a need to recognize deacons if everyone's serving the way that they ought to be serving. And yet it's still good to recognize those who exemplify, who, who, who model with, with excellence what it looks like to be a servant to servants.